Hello and welcome to the Renaissance Polymath. I'm your host, Toby Gagnon, and on this episode, I would like to discuss understanding daylight savings. Let's go ahead and get things started. Spring ahead, fall back. Extra sleep or a stressful morning, an hour early or an hour late. Daylight savings time, or DST. What the heck does that even mean? What are we saving? And if we are saving something, why are we only saving it for five months a year? It could be a bit of annoyance, especially if you're like me and have a love affair with analog clocks, especially the really old ones. In this episode, I plan to dive into the phenomenon and hopefully educate myself and you, the listener, a little along the way. Let's start simple. What is it? Simply put, daylight savings time, or summertime as it's known in some European countries, was proposed as a way to coordinate the waking hours with the times that the sun was rising throughout the year. Really, it's that simple. One day a year, there would be a 23-hour day and a 25-hour day. Instead of the sun rising before you were awake in the summer and setting early, thus cutting your day short, DST allows for waking hours to be as close to the rising of the sun as possible throughout the year. We spring forward on the second Sunday in March and fall back on the first Sunday in November, currently, thanks to the Energy Policy Act of 2005, which took effect in 2007. Interesting dates there. So who proposed this thing? In my research for this episode, I have found that there were many people who proposed something closely related to DST as we know it today. If you're a fan of Nicolas Cage, you probably know the scene in the movie National Treasure where the character Riley explains that they didn't miss a window of opportunity to find a clue to a hidden treasure because DST didn't exist when the clue was originally placed. He also asks the other characters, Ben and Abigail, if they knew who originally proposed Daylight Savings Time, and they both exclaim, while walking away, Benjamin Franklin. While neat, it's not actually true. What Benjamin Franklin suggested in a letter published in a French publication, Journal de Paris, in 1784, was that people simply wake up an hour earlier in the summer months so as to not miss the earliest parts of the day, regardless of what the clock said. He even suggested that church bells ring and cannons be fired to wake up the populace. Yeah, he was a nice guy, wasn't he? The first proposal, he's probably the reason HOAs exist, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> The first proposal that included the actual alteration of a nationally recognized time of day was made in New Zealand by a man named George Hudson in 1895. His proposal was originally for a two-hour change to the clocks and was primarily for selfish reasons. He just wanted more daylight when he was done with work during the summer months. Independent of George Hudson, however was a published proposal in England in 1907 by a man by the name of William Willett. Yeah, Willett. It was stated that, while out for a morning ride on his horse two years earlier in 1905, he was surprised how many Londoners slept through such a beautiful and large part of the day. Of course, there were selfish reasons too. He was a staunch golfer and hated having to cut his rounds short due to the setting of the sun. So why was this seen as a benefit? Well, Benjamin Franklin's satirical letter, it was a satirical letter, uh, made an economic plea stating that changing the time during the summer would mean that families would burn their candles less and thus would offer a large financial savings to the average household. Now, of course, he also made suggestions that there should be a additional taxes on things like window shutters and rationing candles. What a nice guy, huh? 
George Hudson's proposal made similar economic mentions, though his focus seemed to be more on having more daylight during the summer months to do things that were enjoyable. For him, that meant more time collecting insects. That was his job at the time. He collected bugs. And also more time outside with his family. William Millett's proposal was based less on economics, it seems, and more on his desire to spend more time outdoors during the nice months, which is something he was extremely passionate about. Though when he drafted his proposal to Parliament, it did focus heavily on the potential energy savings. It's worth noting, however, that the energy savings as it relates to daylight savings time is still heavily disputed. Some claim that the savings are undeniable and great, while others claim that they are extremely small if they even exist at all and are not worth the coordination and stress that changing the clocks brings biannually. Okay, so what countries follow this and when did it take effect? Though originally proposed in New Zealand in 1895, the first countries to nationally adopt a changing in the clocks on a seasonal basis, which is modern daylight savings time, were Germany, Austria, and Hungary on April 30th, 1916. And I understand that it was the German Empire and then Austria-Hungary was basically the same country. But it was April 30th, 1916. I say nationally adopt because there were other regional and provincial locations that made formal adoptions long before then. The first being Port Arthur, Ontario, Canada in 1908, which was followed by Aurelia, Ontario in 1911. Following the adoption by Germany, Austria, and Hungary in 1916, other European countries soon followed suit, including Britain and most of its allies. The original thought was that it was going to save on coal and other valuable energy resources during World War I. Russia and other countries enacted daylight savings time the following year in 1917, but the United States did not enact DST until 1918. During that same year, 1918, and following the end of World War I, many of the countries who originally adopted DST soon reversed their decisions and ended it. The exceptions to this were the United States, Canada, France, Ireland, and the United Kingdom. Some countries, like Russia and Belarus, attempted to stay permanently on daylight savings time. This did not last very long, however, as they and others now operate permanently on standard time, or ST. In fact, only a few countries still observe daylight savings time today, which is actually less than 40% of the world's countries, in fact. Including nearly all of Europe, a handful of Middle Eastern countries, two South American countries, the U.S., Greenland, and New Zealand. There are even others who have chosen to observe it provincially or regionally, including Canada and Australia. To make it even more confusing, the states of Hawaii and Arizona do not observe daylight savings time, though certain Native American parts of Arizona have chosen to. Interestingly, the United States briefly abolished daylight savings time after World War I and reestablished it on February 9, 1942. Following World War II, states were given the choice to keep or abolish daylight savings time. That's why Hawaii, well, Arizona can choose to or not. Uh, but in 1966, the United States Congress passed the Uniform Time Act and brought daylight savings time back officially and uniformly. Again, kind of, mostly. The state of Florida voted in 2018 to remain permanently in daylight savings time. At least 15 other states have passed measures that are similar measures that are currently awaiting approval by the United States Congress to give them the power to choose once again. 
So does it still make sense? Well, this one's tough. There are arguments that focus on the energy savings and other objective, tangible, and measurable parts of the daylight savings. Some studies, however, focus on other aspects, including mental health, physical health, and general well-being of the people. Others still focus on additional items, like the rate of traffic accidents. Organizations put forth bills and other legislation each year in an effort to either eliminate daylight savings time altogether or to adhere to it permanently, like some of the states mentioned before. Each of these seem to be with good intention, with varying bits from each of the aforementioned parts. My take is this. We no longer use candles to light our homes, for the most part, and our energy consumption devices, like light bulbs, have only become more efficient. In addition to that, more people are utilizing renewable energy resources such as wind, solar, and geothermal, thus offering a supplement to the non-renewable resources like coal, oil, and natural gas. In addition, I do enjoy leaving work during the summer months knowing I have at least three hours of full daylight left to exercise, play, pursue hobbies, and spend time with loved ones outdoors. I wouldn't mind also not having to worry about moving all of my analog clocks anymore. However, choosing to eliminate or permanently adhere to daylight savings time also means that you will have downfalls. For instance, if you adhere to daylight savings time permanently, that means you'll be waking long before the sun each morning as you approach and come out of the winter solstice for the northern hemisphere. However, if you choose to eliminate daylight savings time, that means the sun will set each evening around 8 p.m. in the summer, and you'll likely miss a couple of hours of daylight each morning with a normal 9 to 5 work and sleep schedule. It's worth bringing attention to the second and third shift workers, however. Currently, they're always in the dark, and we are always in the day, the day shift workers. If we stuck to one or the other, either elimination of or permanent adherence to daylight savings, they would be able to experience daylight for at least half the year. We cannot discount the power daylight has on our mental and physical health. It does give us vitamins and raise our mood. I guess the debate will continue on. It's kind of like reviewing the play in sports like football and hockey. The current call on the field or call on the ice is daylight savings time and standard time at different times of the year, and it will take irrefutable evidence to overturn that. For what it's worth, barring any dramatic political or climate shift, I don't see this happening in my lifetime. I'd be curious to hear your take, though. That about wraps up this episode, but I would encourage you to do your own continued research and education. I'll make sure to link to the things I discussed in this episode in the show notes. On the next episode, I'll be discussing Thanksgiving through the years. Very timely, I know. If you have any feedback, feel free to send me an email at podcast at therenpo.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-N-P-O dot com. I would also appreciate it if you left a review wherever you podcast. That helps this show be discoverable to others and helps me understand where things can be improved. Don't forget to subscribe and auto-download new episodes so you don't miss any of the future topics. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.